Today you'll meet Michelle. Michelle's mom suffered with schizoaffective disorder, which made her a complicated woman and mother. After her mom's death, Michelle le learned even more about her mom, and it has left her feeling guilty about how she felt about her mom at different times over the course of their relationship. Michelle is currently writing a memoir about her experience. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Michelle's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm glad you're here. And um, I've been taking a little break, so it feels really good to be back in the saddle again here. Um, today, I'm talking, talking with Michelle. Um, Michelle found me through the Daughters Without Moms podcast. She was looking for podcasts to listen to and came across Daughters Without Moms. And she is indeed a daughter without a mom. I've had many people on here that don't always fit the bill of daughter without a mom. Um, I keep thinking about changing the name of the podcast, but I haven't because it just uh, is what I started with. But um, so Michelle is a daughter without a mom and she's going to um, tell us a little bit about herself and and then, as always, I'll come back with some questions at the end and we'll wrap it up. But for now, Michelle, I'm going to introduce, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, let you introduce yourself and tell us your story. Great. Thanks so much, Beth. Thanks for having me on today. And I hope you enjoyed your break. Deserve <laughs> it. We all need to take a break. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so as Beth said, I am, in fact, a daughter without a mom. Um, I am also a daughter without a father, but today I'm here to talk about my story about um, my relationship with my mom and my journey with her and her uh, passing, which was in um, October of 2013. So <clears throat> I guess to start, excuse me, uh, my mom and I always had a kind of a challenging relationship. My mother um, suffered from uh, pretty severe mental health issues for all of my life. Um, her final diagnosis was schizoaffective disorder, which I guess clinically uh, can be defined as a combination of schizophrenia, um, bipolar disorder, um, manic depression um, that is interjected with, with episodes of psychotic breaks. So um, it was a, a very roller coaster esque um, journey that we had together. There's a lot of really, really funny, great, great moments in our life together, and there's a lot of really challenging moments. Um, so, as I said, she was mentally ill for all of my life, but I didn't really understand that she was mentally ill when I was a child. Uh, she was quite absent. I grew up with my dad, my dad raised me, and so I didn't really know my mom very well. I didn't spend a lot of time with her. And when I was a child, I kind of resented her for being not present. So in a way, when I was really young, um, up until the age of about probably my mid-teens, I kind of resented her. And if I wasn't resenting her, I was fantasizing about this glamorous life that she was leading. I would make up stories in my head and occasionally you know, my mom, I'm from Southern Ontario. So she lived in Toronto and I would talk about her glamorous life. She worked for a lawyer. She, you know, when she was well, she had really well-paying jobs and she did lead a really great life. But when she was unwell, oh my goodness, it was, <laughs> it was pretty chaotic. So when I was uh, probably in my mid-teens, I, I discovered that she at that time had been diagnosed as schizophrenic. 
which kind of put me into a bit of an existential crisis, uh, terrified of what that meant for me and would I have it? Because at that time it was very, very much considered to be hereditary. They're, they still don't know, uh, <laughs> but at the time it was, it was very hereditary. Um, so that scared me a lot. And I went into a bit of a down, a, a bit of a downward spiral being an angsty teenager and, and really rebellious. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to deal with it. So I did some things that I probably regret doing a little bit, did some drugs, did some drinking, made some bad decisions, um, gave my dad a run for his money. I feel bad for the things. And as an adult, I did apologize to him. <laughs> so I'm happy that I got the opportunity to do that. Um, but with my mom, I didn't get scared of her so much, but more curious about her life. So I started spending more time with her and being rebellious. There was one summer when my father and I got into a fight like teenage girls do with their parents and ran away from home for the summer and spent a summer with her um, being treated as an adult because my mother wasn't well that particular summer and doing things that maybe a teenager shouldn't be doing with their mother in a city. And then I turned 19 and moved to the same city that my mother lived in. So we were both living downtown Toronto um, and our relationship became closer for a couple of years. But then when my aunt passed away, my mom's older brother was always the one that kind of looked out for her and cared for her and made sure that she was getting the health care she needed. So when his wife, my aunt passed away suddenly, in her 40s from a brain aneurysm, he came to me and he said, listen, I can't, I can't manage my sister any longer. It's too much. So he kind of handed the baton to me and said, you, you have to take over her care or not really her care because it wasn't like a live-in caregiver situation, but making sure that she stayed at a jail, if I'm honest, and um, just kind of monitoring her health and, and assisting her when needed. So I asked him if I could reach out to him for advice and, and just, you know, what I should do and support. And he was always very supportive and always very helpful um, throughout my young adulthood when I was learning how to kind of help manage my mom's diagnosis. So through that time, I probably had to go to a justice of the peace. I don't even know how many times to get warrants issued for her arrest when she was very sick and have her hospitalized, which would make her angry with me. Um, and she, I use air quotes when I say this, she divorced me as a daughter a number of times when she'd get really angry and frustrated. And I, I understand I wouldn't want to be arrested and take it to a hospital against my will either, but it was for her safety and for the safety of people around her because she could get not violent, but um, inebriated and aggressive sometimes when she was unwell, well, not when she was well, only when she was sick. Um, that was a lot to manage. So when I was in my 20s, I became a mom and I had two kids and my mom had run away to the West Coast of Canada and got herself into a bit of trouble and uh, wound up in the hospital and living in Winnipeg. I don't know why she picked Winnipeg. It's the coldest city in Canada. It gets to minus 40 degrees Celsius in the winter. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's really, really cold. Um, you can't go outside without risk of frostbite. It's so cold. She decided to land there for some odd reason. And I eventually had to get her and convince her to come back to Ontario, which incredibly I did at some point. So 
Then she was living in the same city as me, which was great because I was closer to her and could kind of help make sure that she was well-ish. And um, also introduce her to my kids. And my mom was not a present mom. She, you know, if I'm honest, was not a great mom. Um, there wasn't a close relationship, but she really knocked it out of the park when it came to being a grandmother to my kids. So that was really nice to see, to see them developing this really tight knit relationship with my mother that I never had. Um, we ended up developing a bit of a friendship still with bumps in the road, but we, we became more colleagues and, and peers than mother daughter. There was a couple of times where she tried to pull the I'm your mother, don't speak to me that way. And I would kind of chuckle and say, yeah, that's cute. Um, <laughs> but um, And then further along when she just turned 50, um, people with mental health issues really start, their health starts to decline quickly. And sometimes I think it's a side effect of the psycho antipsychotic drugs that they take. Um, and there's a lot of studies that have indicated that schizophrenia, schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder can also um, go hand in hand with diabetes. And sometimes it's not diagnosed uh, because the two things and blood sugar and um, how your body processes different things can be elevated or not elevated and your blood glucose levels are all out of whack. So when my mom was in her early 50s, she was diagnosed with uh, diabetes and they tried her on metformin and that didn't work. Uh, the fact that she was mentally ill didn't help because she didn't follow the diet. She was still drinking way too much. She, she smoked very, very heavily. Um, she wouldn't eat for days, wouldn't sleep for days because she was mentally ill. So at one point she got put on insulin injections. Well, that's easier than taking a pill, <laughs> not even close. So there were times where um, I would have to go towards the end of her life. I had to go to her house almost every day just to make sure she was eating and taking her insulin. And then there came a time where um, probably the last two or three times that she was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital, the diabetes had gotten quite bad. And then in uh, 2013, which was the year she passed away that summer, uh, she wound up in the emergency room because she was unresponsive and I couldn't find her. And we had to break into her apartment and discovered her um, in a diabetic coma. So they rushed her to the hospital and she was there over a long weekend here in um, Canada. And the end result was that they had to amputate her leg just below the knee. So after the amputation, she, she really bounced back um, because she was hospitalized for so long. So they got all of her medication back in order and she was taking her insulin. She was eating properly and she was doing physio and she was really motivated to, you know, get crutches, get out of her wheelchair, learn to walk with a prosthetic leg. And she seemed really motivated. So I was feeling really positive, but I wanted to make sure she got all the therapy that she needed before they released her from the hospital. And I remember meeting with the social worker and the psychiatrist and everybody at her hospital and her getting impatient and wanting out of the hospital. But I knew she wasn't ready to get out of the hospital because I knew my mom and she started pushing the fact. And my mom, being the smart lady that she was, used to threaten um, getting her lawyer involved. <laughs> so uh, the social worker took me aside and said, listen, you know, legally we can't hold her against her will if she's presenting as somebody who is able to make her own decisions. So even if she's not well, because she was so good at acting like she was well, 
they had to release her from the hospital. So they did that. And I said, you know, this is a death sentence for my mom. And the social worker said, all I can say is that we need to monitor very closely and that you can't take this all on by yourself, but you need to really knock home to your mom that she needs to start taking care of herself. So I would go over every day on my way to work and on my way home from work and make her meals and do her dishes and talk to her about her day and make sure, watch her do her insulin. And <clears throat> for about seven to 10 days, she was doing it. She was following the regime. And I went and had a bunch of modifications done and bars and things to assist her and make her life a little bit easier because she was in a chair when she was released from the hospital. She wasn't yet up on crutches and, and she had to finish therapy for that. So I remember visiting her on, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday night and she was really off and she was kind of depressed, which was understandable. She was having terrible pain, the ghost pain after being um, having an amputation. And I asked her to eat something and we sat for a little bit and she didn't want to eat. And I was really worried about leaving her, but she really wanted me to leave. And I fear it's because she wanted to have some drinks or she had a friend coming over, but I'm her daughter, not her mother. And she wouldn't let me stay. So she politely kicked me out of, out of her condo and I left. And I said, I'm going to come and see you on my way to work tomorrow morning. Um, so I'll be here between 7.30 and 8 a.m. So I called her and she said, okay, well, you know, if you call me tonight, I might be sleeping because I'm pretty sleepy. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to call you. So, you know, please try to answer the phone. I don't want to worry about you all night. So I called her and there was no answer. And I said, okay, I can't freak out. She told me she might be sleeping. So the next morning I went over at 7.30, quarter to eight in the morning and there was no answer. And um, I had to use my key, but the door was, I don't know if she had drop something but it was hard to get into her apartment <clears throat> and when I got in there she had fallen off of her um, bed that we had set up in her living room we set up a bed so that she didn't have to go in and out of her bedroom so it was just like a bachelorette with the bed and the tv close to the kitchen and the phone was off the hook and she had fallen half out of bed and she was unconscious so I had to call 911 again and get the people to come and it was another long weekend and me being, you know, the silly girl that I was thinking that, you know, oh, it's a long weekend. It's the same EMS people that came the weekend before. So we're like, hey, how are you? And I said, what are your plans for the next long weekend? And um, we were chatting and they took her to the hospital and I followed and I got to the ER and she was in really bad shape. And I didn't really, I don't know if I didn't comprehend it or I was in denial, but they said, listen, we're gonna to have to possibly amputate um, another hand and her other leg. And I knew my mom and I had her medical power of attorney. So I said, okay, well, I need to take a minute and think about this, but I knew that she wouldn't wanna live this way. Um, and they said, and that's even if we can kind of get her back um, because she's really far gone right now. So. I left and I went and sat on a rock and thought about it. And I called my brother and he came, he left our family cottage and came back and uh, met me at the hospital. He's like, you know what we have to do? You know, she wouldn't live like this. And she would be even more angry at us for allowing this to happen. So I had to go and sign the documents to let her kind of go. And she, that was on Friday afternoon and she passed away the next morning at 1030. So less than 24 hours. Um, and she had passed away. And that was in October of 2013. So 
that's how that happened. But I was really angry with her because I felt like she didn't try very hard and, and I didn't understand why. And it just, it just seemed like it would have been so easy if she just had of like followed what her doctor said and done this and done that. And, and then I was the one that was responsible for going and cleaning up her apartment and, and organizing her files and kind of wrapping up her estate, so to speak. So I did that and being paranoid with uh, schizoaffective disorder, one of her things was to always get her medical records sent to her after she was hospitalized. So I learned a lot about her after she died that I wasn't aware of. And I learned all about her insecurities. I learned about her being abused as a child. I learned about being bullied at work when she was an adult and when she was a kid because, you know, she came from the wrong side of the track, so to speak. And I started understanding all the trauma that she had experienced in her life and thought, wow, you know, maybe I should be a bit gentler with her because I, I was always so hard on her when she was alive. And I know that we had a great relationship, but I also know I didn't understand her. And now since she's passed, I do have a better understanding of her. And since the pandemic, <laughs> I think that's changed a lot of us um, for better or worse. But one of the things that I started doing during the pandemic is going through my journals of my experiences with my mom. And that's one of the reasons why I've decided that to start writing a memoir about um, that journey and those experiences in my childhood and kind of more in-depth and detailed into our lives together and understanding her and how upon reflection of her passing, how much better I think I know her and how much more understanding I think I would be it had she still been alive, but she's not. So I just have to kind of forgive myself for being frustrated with her because she was doing her best and I was doing my best and she was a great grandmother to my kids. And I'm grateful for that. I couldn't have asked for a better grandmother. They worshiped the ground she walked on and that makes me happy. Um, I only hope I can be that great of a grandmother to my grandchildren if I ever have them. Um, and that's kind of what I've learned uh, with, you know, my mom passing away. And that's kind of how I dealt with the grief is that now I'm, I'm visiting my journals and kind of rewriting them and understanding her as a person and being gentler with myself and how I deal with all of that. Because I think, I don't know, grieving is tough and I don't think you can A, tell anybody how to do it. I was really worried about that when I was grieving both of my parents. I was like, am I doing this right? You know, is there a file, a pamphlet? I don't know what to do here. <laughs> Turns out there's not really. Um, but that's the one thing I have learned um, in my grief journey is that I just have to kind of let it happen however it's going to happen. And my experience with my mom was very different than my experience with my dad, both in life and in death. Um, and I think every grief journey is different. And I think that... Um, it's okay. And that's kind of my story with, with my mom and I. Wow. Wow. So you have a website, Michelle Hodgson, Hodgson, Hodgson.com. Yep. We'll put that in the show notes so that people can find you. And so you do have a blog there and you've shared some of the excerpts from um, your memoir mm -hmm. and, and I've, I've read a couple of them. Um, and so do you, do you, do you see it being that just like snippet short chapters are kind of just like the different memory kind of thing? Yeah. So I think um, it's going to be kind of starting from when I started, you know, looking out for her with mm -hmm. memories of me as a kid kind of interwoven with that. And, you know, the arc being, you know, 
like my journey and resentment, uh, gratitude for my relationship with, you know, her and my, my kids, and then just kind of understanding and, and how I came to, came to peace with, with what happened and how much I've learned. Like I'm a better parent. I'm a better person. I'm a better employee. I'm a better everything for having lived through it. And, and mm-hmm. I'm appreciative and I'm grateful for all of the things. And I'm also grateful for my health mm-hmm. because it could have gone very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been very careful with my health and with my kids' health just to make sure because I learned so much from her. So I wish she knew, and I feel like she does, but um, it, it's it's interesting how, you know, in when you lose somebody that, you you thought you knew so well and then you learn so much more about them after um they've passed away i think that that's going to kind of be my how i wrap it up and all the things that i've learned and all the things that i understand and just to be gentler and kinder and you know it's easier said than done i realize that yeah (laughs) but um all we can do is try right And it's an everyday choice you know you can choose to go back to your anger and resentment or you can choose to you know, look at it, look at it through wider lenses and be able to appreciate her whole journey of where she came from as well. Absolutely. And, it, um, and that's, that's, it's heartbreaking. And I'm just grateful for the more positive journey that I have had and am having than what she had. So, and that's down to her because she, you know, gave me life. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I find it interesting that she was a great grandmother. How did, how did, how I'm not, I'm not sure that I understand with her, you know, with her condition and her illness, how she was able, or were you the one who really facilitated that? I tried really hard to facilitate it in that um, she ended up living in the same city as us. And one of the things that seemed to keep her healthier for longer, she tended to go in two to three year cycles. And I found that if she had a reason to like she loved walking my son home from school. Um, and if she had to be at the school while I was at work, she loved that and it kept her healthy. So, and it gave her an opportunity to get to know my kids. And my son confided everything in grandma. Like my mom would be like, did you know that on the phone the next morning? And I'd be like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear this. And she's like, oh yeah, he tells me all of his stories. And I don't, I, she knew him, I think better than I did when he was a little boy. Um, and she doted on them. And she also uh, helped me out when I went back and did um, some post-grad work um, to, I went to, back to school to get my human resources designation. And she helped me out with, you know, looking out for my kids when I had night classes and because I worked all day and, they were in daycare up until a certain time, but um, after that, she would come and watch them when I, you know, checked out and went to school until 10 o'clock at night. Um, so she got an opportunity to force those relationships, but I could kind of make sure that everybody was okay and oversee that as well. So, um, mm-hmm. and even when she was well, um, like, and not as on as well as she maybe could have been, um, her slide was sometimes very long and drawn out because she could hide her symptoms for a relatively long mm-hmm amount of time she was to come over for dinner we talked every day um and she came over for dinner probably two or three nights a week so mm. and she lived in the same city as us. so it also there was a bit of a gap too because I was so involved in her day-to-day life and then boom yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. an odd thing right yeah. mm. so was she aware of 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 her you know when she would 
be sick and unable to function like and then when she would you said two to three year cycles then when it but she would be well again does she know what had happened when she wasn't well she was aware okay that's kind of hard one of the things excuse me one of the things that I asked her at one point um she would never admit to me that she was unwell probably until the last maybe five to seven years of her life and she passed away when she was 62 um she explained it to me beautifully as, you know, when you're watching a horror movie and one of the main characters is trying to convince everybody else that there's a serial killer out there or there's somebody following us and everyone's just like, oh, you're being paranoid. Don't worry about it. That was her life when she was in the middle of a psychotic break. Um, (sighs) Paranoid that she was being chased by you know, government agencies and being followed and um, there were diseases and everything and that she was being monitored for everything. Um, and she remembered and she said sometimes that she was just so embarrassed, she didn't want to talk about it. And I can understand that because yeah. she, and some details she wouldn't always remember, um, which is probably for the best. Um, those stories will probably be in my memoir, but (laughs) Um, my mother would be very angry with me, but it has been such a cathartic thing for me to do this. So um, I think maybe she'd forgive me, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, I mean, you're a mom too. If you think about it from your mom gene perspectives, I think, I think that she would, if it's something that's life giving to you and helping you and your continuing journey. And there's no, and there's no shame in having mental health issues. If we have a heart condition, it, you know, we are okay to talk about it. And she grew up in an era where, oh my gosh, don't talk about the mental health issues. You know, they're so tough. Yeah. Need to, uh, you know, smash that window Mm -hmm. (laughs) and get people okay with it because so many people, since the pandemic started, it has become a, a thing that we need to talk about openly and freely and not be ashamed of, of, you know, struggling with anything. Right. Right. For sure. I 100% agree with you. Um, so her brother, did he, I just wondered, did he ever like loop back around into the, into the mix or did it? No, unfortunately he did pass away, um, before my mom. Um, so he, he passed away in 2007 or 2008. So a number, a few years before, um, she did. Okay. Yeah. So he was always there though. Um, he was always like, uh, anytime I needed to call him or lean on him or just bounce things off of him, we emailed and corresponded regularly throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was a great support system. Yeah. Uh, I spent a lot of time at his house as a kid uh, okay. with my brother when she was living with him after being released from the hospital. So we were pretty close. Okay. Yeah. I just thought that that did seem like a very, um, not unusual because sibling relationships, you know, can be so, can be so connected, but that he filled that role for, for so long. Um, he did pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, He was a very remarkable man for sure. Yeah. He was, he was fantastic. And he, he, my mom's name was Joanne and he called, uh, her, (laughs) his little sister, Joey. (laughs) So that was his environment that I only heard a couple of times, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, they had a really close relationship and he was, he was a very caring human. So mm-hmm. she was lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It sounds yeah. like it. you both were lucky to have him. It sounds like, 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm super excited to see. I mean, hopefully you can keep us up in, in the loop about what's going on with your book. You know, if you, if you have updates and stuff, I'll be happy to share that um, on social media. And like I said, we will link your website in on the show notes. Um, and so before we wrap up, is there any other, you know, final thoughts you want to share or, or anything with yes. the people who are listening? Yeah, everybody grieves in their own way and just be patient with yourself and um, don't be afraid to laugh. Having humor is important. You know, laughing is such a healthy um, way to get through things that can be quite horrifying. Um, but everybody's experience is different and, and just, you know, don't be hard on yourself if, if your journey doesn't look like or seem like it's, it's the right journey because everyone's is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I agree. My tagline is using grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with grief because Absolutely. I don't believe you ever get over it either, but you have to learn how to live with it. Um, but everybody's journey is most certainly different. So 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you being here and uh, sharing your story with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, been wonderful. I appreciate your time and I love your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.